This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we'll find verse number 58, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to notice the phrase you find in the concluding part of verse number 58, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want to speak to you on that subject this evening. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Uh, The word labor here refers to uh, weariness and it refers to toil. It refers to struggle. Life is hard, and it is difficult. It is not, uh, as one songwriter put it, uh, it's not a rose garden, right? I beg your pardon. I never promise you a rose garden, and life is no rose garden. It's not just simple beauty and flowery and everything works according to our plan and everything that we do just works out and and every effort that we make yields an immediate dividend. A life is not like that. A life is full of struggles. Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Our days are few, but they are full. And what are they full of? They're full of trouble. And it seems oftentimes for our lives that we go from one problem to the next, one crisis to the next, one issue to the next, whether it be in our relationships or whether it be in our uh, line of work or our health uh, or our spiritual life. Uh, Our lives are filled with struggles. And in those struggles, uh, we become weary. We become tired. Uh, we, we, we grow uh, uh, very, very oftentimes discouraged in the labor to the point that we often believe that all of our efforts are for naught. All of our efforts are for naught. That it's all in vain. We're trying to do a good job at work, but nobody's noticing. And uh, the other guy who doesn't work as hard as us, uh, he's getting ahead, and we're not. Uh, Our neighbors who uh, don't attend church and don't seem to fear God, it seems like everything's going well for them, but it's not going so well for us. Uh, We're trying to honor God with our finances. We're paying the tithe and And we believe God's going to bless us because he said he would in his word. But nevertheless, we're still having financial difficulty. Uh, We're we're involved in ministry. 
and we're teaching a class, but uh, it seems like nobody cares enough to show up. Or the people who do show up aren't interested enough to listen. And it seems like it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Or we come to visitation and we drive across town and, and we knock on a door but nobody's home. Or worse yet, somebody's at home but they don't want us to be there. And uh, dejected, we get in our car and we say, well, what was that all about? Why, why, would I, why did I give this effort? And we're very tempted to think that our labor, our toil, is in vain. Nobody seems to care. It's not appreciated, and it doesn't seem to have the blessing of God upon it that we expect for it to have. And we all get there. We all get there. As parents, as Christians, as servants of God, we all get there. And I'm thankful for this reminder tonight that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 6, if you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse number 9, that God... God sees our labor, and God does not forget what we do. God is taking note, and he's keeping careful record of what his children are doing. And so we see it in verse number 9, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. I want you to know that God does not forget. And God does not forget our work. God does not forget our labor, our toil, our struggles, the weariness that we endure. God does not forget that. He said, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints. The meal you made and took to somebody the, the miles you traveled to knock on that door, the effort that you made to get up that morning and go to work, and all of the efforts that you're making with your children or every endeavor that you're involved in in the work of God, that God sees it and God does not forget it. Verse number 11, And we desire that every one of you show the same diligence if we're going to labor for the Lord, we ought to be diligent, not haphazard, not halfway. If you have a Sunday school class, give it your all. You know, don't decide on Saturday night at 10 o'clock, you might ought to look at your lesson. If that's the way you're operating, then you can't expect a whole lot to happen on Sunday morning, right? If you have an, a responsibility in the church, don't be the kind of person that doesn't show up or calls the leader the last minute and says, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it today. Now, there are always times that things come up unexpected, but make sure it's a worthy thing. Be diligent. We ought to be diligent in the work of God. We ought to, be, we ought to give our best in the work of God. But sometimes it seems like we sort of develop a haphazard, casual attitude toward the work of God. 
And we desire that every one of you to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not, what's the next word? Slothful. But followers of, of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we find out that God has an expectation that his people are going to labor. And this labor, as we read in verse number 10, is a labor of love. We're motivated by love. We are constrained by the love of Christ. We do what we do because in our hearts we love the Lord Jesus. When we get weary and toilsome and haphazard and, and slothful in our labors, for the work of God, then that is indicative of the fact that we don't love the Lord Jesus to the degree that we once loved him. And when we allow our love for self to motivate us in service, then it becomes about us and the satisfaction that we get or the recognition that we get or the pat on the back that we get. And when we don't receive that, we'll grow discouraged very quickly because it's not the love of Christ that constrains us, it's the love of self. It's the love of self. And so we are to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to move us forward, that is to propel us to serve Him. Uh, we, we don't do it simply because we love people. And we should love people. We, we definitely are called to love people. We're to love one another. We're, we're to love lost sinners. But let me explain to you that if our sole motivation is that we love people, people are going to disappoint us. People are going to reject us. People are going to hurt us. You cannot serve God and escape hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have pains. You're going to have heartaches. And, and so you will not serve God in this world and escape that. And if you love people and if you just love self, then you don't have the right motivation. We have to love the Lord Jesus. It is a labor of love. And so we have a, a, an expectation that God has placed on us that we are to labor for him. Chapter number 6 and verse number 9 and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we get weary, don't we? In fact, that is exactly what he's saying here in, in uh, verse number 58 as we, as we labor. He's speaking of that toil. He's speaking of that weariness that comes to us. And we can often get weary and get discouraged in well-doing. But the Bible tells us that we're not to be weary in well-doing. Why? Because in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And as we therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So I want us to note three things this evening as we consider this thought, your labor is not in vain. Number one, I want you to see the conviction of the laborer. The conviction. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. The conviction of the laborer. Now, the word therefore is a very important word. <laughs> what the word therefore does for us is it provides for us 
a bridge of thought from one thought uh, to the next. And here we see uh, that God in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. Uh, He died for us according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again. And because he died for us, because he was buried and because he rose again, we have eternal life. We have everlasting hope. Therefore, therefore, we have hope in heaven. We have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we, we understand that there's more to our lives and our existence than what is in this temporal world. But we have a world to come. We have a life that, that will not end. And therefore, because of that, because of the knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us and purchased us uh, with his own blood, uh, because he's delivered us from sin and death and has changed us, because of his resurrection, ours now is assured. Because of that truth, I am to have conviction in my soul, and therefore, moving forward from the conviction of that truth, I am to endure the labor and the toil and the weariness. Now notice what he says here. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. The word steadfast means to be settled. It means to take a seat. It, it, is, it is to be content. It is to be settled. It is to, to rest in him. It, it is the opposite of what we might describe as antsy or unstable or indecisive. It means we're to be settled. What are we to be settled in? We're to be settled in Jesus Christ. We're to be settled in the truth of his word. We're to be settled in the hope of his resurrection. And as we are settled, seated, we find another word that is unmovable. That means to be fixed. To be fixed. We're to be settled in what we believe. We're to be settled and fixed in who it is that we believe in, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's given us to do. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But we as God's children are not to be double-minded. We're to be fixed. We're to be immovable. And we're to be fixed upon our relationship with Him, who He is, what we believe, what His Word has to say to us. It has to be a conviction in our soul that is an anchor for our lives, that makes decisions for us where we go, what we do with our money, what we do with our time. It it determines where we're going to be on the Lord's day. It is to be settled with conviction, not with feeling, not with emotion. You see, God never does his deepest work in the most shallow part of our being, in the most shallow part of our being is in our emotions, and that is where Satan deceives us in, in, in our flesh and in our mind. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. And Satan says, well, you know, it's not doing any good. 
And nobody appreciates what you're doing. And those kids aren't listening. And your kids aren't listening. And you're trying to tithe and, and support the work of God. But what about you? You see how the devil works in our mind? But you see, if we have a firmly established conviction, then these questions are not up for debate each and every week, are they? This is who we are. This is what we believe. And therefore, this is what we do. We're not waffling around. We're not floundering around. This is who we are. And we have conviction. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul uh, speaks of this in his prayer for the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 4 and verse 14, he says that we henceforth from this time forward be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Uh, Paul's concern for the church at Ephesus is that they, they not just be fluttering around and every circumstance that comes to them doesn't disrupt them. Uh, every every uh, doctrine of a devil that came into the church at Ephesus uh, doesn't carry them away from the truth. Every word and everything that somebody whispered in their ear didn't disrupt them and pull them away. But they kept their eyes on the Lord Jesus because they were firmly settled and they had convictions and they were no longer tossed about. We see the example of Epaphras here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 25. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 25, Epaphroditus. The Bible says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor. There's that word again. And fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Here's a man who did not regard himself to the point that his health was in jeopardy. To the point that that, that he, was, he was neglecting himself in such a way because he had an earnest desire to do the work of God. Why? Why? Because he had a conviction. He had a conviction. And that conviction will carry you through the days when you don't feel like you're accomplishing much. When you feel like in your mind it's all in vain. If you don't have that conviction settled and fixed in your soul, then you might find yourself on the Christian service unemployment line. And so may God help us. I want you to notice the second thing, not only the conviction of the laborer, but I want you to see the continuation. The continuation of the laborer. 
Because of his conviction, he's going to continue. Notice what the Bible says here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word always means without ceasing. The word abounding means to overflow, to overflow. In other words, it, it, it's not time to dial it back, you know. Sometimes we get that idea. Well, you know, maybe I just need to scale back. Maybe I just, maybe it's time for me just to, you know, I could give that up and I could, I don't have to be so serious about going to church. I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's just time. What about me? I mean, I need some me time, right? Right? And what do we do with our me time? Oftentimes we flutter it away, right? Well, the laborer, he continues always without ceasing, overflowing, overflowing. Do you know that God is abundant toward us? Why, 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 why should I be abundant toward God? By the way, if I'm just trying to be abundant toward you, that's not going to work, is it? But if, I, if I'm trying to be abundant toward God, then, then I'm returning his abundance toward me. Ephesians chapter 1. Would you turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1? And then we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. And Paul says here that in whom, speaking of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. You see, we find here that the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us through his blood. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for us. And when we received him as Savior, he forgave us of all our sins. We had a debt. Have you ever been in debt? Man, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm there tonight, right? And that debt's a burden. I told the story when my wife and I first got married, we got a credit card, and I remember getting the balance statement. We had maxed the card out at $500. And I had a sick, nauseating feeling as I sat in the living room, and I thought, I'm never going to get this debt paid off. I'd love to have that debt tonight. $500. I'd love to have it. You see, that debt is a burden, but Jesus Christ forgave me all that debt. You, you remember the story when the man wouldn't, he went to the, the one he was indebted to, and he said, I can't pay. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And he, 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 he pled in such a way the man felt sorry for him and had compassion and he forgave him. And then the same man who was forgiven went out and found a guy that owed him a whole lot less and said, hey, you owe me, pay up. 
And the guy said, hey, I can't pay you. Would you please forgive me? And did he, did he move forward in acknowledging the debt had been forgiven him? No. He said, oh, no, no, you've got to pay me or I'm going to have you cast into the debtor's prison. And he did. And then the man who forgave him found out about it and had him cast into the debtor's prison. And he said, I forgave you all that debt, but you couldn't forgive him. You know, that's the way we get. We're so petty. We're so petty and full of unforgiveness. We remember everything anybody's ever done to hurt us, especially in the service of God, especially in the work of God. We remember the time the lady didn't talk to us the right way in the nursery. You remember that time? Sure you do. You remember that time when you didn't get your way in the meeting. You remember that. Sure you do. You remember the time that you felt slighted by somebody or somebody sang your song or they didn't ask you to do this or whatever the case may be. Do you remember that time? You absolutely remember that time. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to forgive that person? Jesus Christ forgave you. Let me tell you that nobody has ever offended you to the degree you've offended Jesus Christ. Not even close. But he's forgiven you. That's why the Bible says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so here we find that Jesus has been abundant toward me. Romans 5 verse 20, let me read that. Then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You can turn there while I'm reading Romans 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Moreover, he said, the law entered, Romans 5, 20, that the offense might abound. The law, which reveals the, the standard of God, is revealed, and my offense, my sin, abounds. In other words, man, when I compare my life to the law, I see, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, I can labor abundantly because Jesus has abundantly blessed me. He has overflowed on me, and therefore I am to overflow in my labor for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. That's sometimes the way we want to do it. Well, I'll give the Lord a little time, but not too much. Don't ask me to make too much of a commitment. Don't ask me to do too much. Don't ask me to give too much. I'll give a little bit, but I mean, honestly, to give a tithe, 10%, I know that's in the Bible, but that's not for me. Really. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't look at you that way? Give to the mission fund? Are you, are you I mean, really? Overflowing. Give to the, to the building fund? Buy a $90,000 bus? I'll just give a little bit. I'll just do a little bit. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now let me tell you where you're going to do the reaping. You're going to do the reaping here, but you're going to do the reaping up there. If I give a cup of water in his name, I will not lose my reward. Do you believe what the Bible says? I mean, if I get up here and I said, well, you know, I really don't believe that text. I would no longer be the pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church. 
there'd be some men who would meet me before I got off this platform, probably wouldn't even let me finish the message. And they would show me to the back door. They'd be very kind to my wife and children, but they'd move me on out of here, right? And rightfully so, correct? But what's different? If I, if I say I believe it and I don't have any intention of living it. And so here we find that if we, if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. Verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Boy, there's, there's the root of the matter right there, his heart. Remember, this is a labor of love. I, I, I'm doing this out of my heart. It, it is a conviction that I have. And so let him give, not grudgingly. Oh, I can't believe we've got to do this again. Or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make, notice this please, all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Do you know how I can abound in the labor? Do you know how I can abound toward God and toward man? Because he is abounding through his grace in me. And if I'm not underneath the faucet in communion with him, loving him, then I'm not going to abound. Because before I can abound, I've got to be there where he's abounding in me. I've got to fill my heart with the word of God. I've got, I've got to spend time in communion and prayer. I've got to have my heart in tune with the Lord, filled with his love. And if so, then I can abound toward him. And so we see here the conviction of the laborer. And then we see, secondly, the continuation of the laborer. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the confidence of the laborer. The confidence. And notice the last phrase we find here in verse 58. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to look at that phrase again. For as much as you say the next word with me. For as much as ye, for as much as ye know. Well, you know, I preached the sermon and I, I just don't feel like it really went anywhere. Do you know how many times I've said that to my wife? Y'all need to pray for her. Yeah, I, I met with these folks and talked to them, but I don't know if it did any good. I prepared that lesson and, and I taught it, but so-and-so wasn't there. And the others didn't act like they cared. And the one kid can't stay off his phone. And why am I doing this? What, what difference does it make? I mean, the choir... 4.30, practice, 5, whatever. Why should I be here? I don't feel like I'm being very effective. You know how many times I've said that to myself? And how many times have you said it to yourself? I'm not getting through to these kids. I keep telling my children the same thing every day. Nothing's working. I'm praying for them, but it's not availing much. 
Nothing seems to be changing, right? I'm trying to witness to my coworker, but they're not interested. And I just don't feel like this thing's going anywhere. In fact, I'm tired and I'm weary. I feel like quitting. You see, it is not what I feel that matters. It is what I know that matters. For as much as ye, say it with me, for as much as you know. On a Wednesday evening at 7.57, it's not how I feel, it's what I know that matters. As I prepare my lesson for the week or as I come to visitation tomorrow, it's not how I feel, it's what I know that matters. And the Bible tells me that I know that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. The word vain literally means empty. That's the way we often feel about our labor, that it's empty. It's doing nothing. It's not accomplishing anything. I thought I would be doing this, but here I'm doing this. This is a menial responsibility. By the way, there is no menial task in the work of God. Are you an usher and a greeter? That's not a menial task. Are, are you a nursery worker? That's certainly not a menial task. Or, uh, are, are you somebody who helps make sure the building's clean? Uh, that's not a menial task. There is no menial tasks in the work of God. And Solomon, when he labored in his own strength outside of his dependence upon the Lord Jesus, he said in Ecclesiastes 2 and 11, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. What do you mean? I mean, here's a guy who had it all. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was a great scientist. He was a great, uh, he was a great builder and architect. He, he, he was a great investor. He was a great administrator. I mean, th this guy, he, he was a great author of books. He was the man. He was the guy you go here, you get his CDs, and you listen to him, and you read his books because you want to be like him. And he said, when I looked at it all, I noticed that it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. There's no good. There's no point. You see, all of our labor outside of dependence upon the Lord Jesus, his strength, his energy, if it's for any other purpose than that, it's in vain. But, when we labor for him in his strength, in his power, it is not in vain, and we know it, and we have confidence. The Lord Jesus asked Peter, how did the fishing go? He said in Luke 5, in verse 5, we've toiled all the night and taken nothing. Sometimes that's the way it goes for us. But Jesus told him, let down his net, and he did. He said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You see, our labor in the Lord is eternal. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, I just don't think it's going well. This just isn't what I thought it would be. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth the bud that it may give seed to the sower. The Lord says, I send the rain and the snow and it accomplishes my purpose. 
As that happens, he says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sin it. I can have confidence in the labor as I labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, as I labor in his strength, as I labor faithfully according to his word. I can have confidence that my labor is not in vain. When Mary poured that ointment on the feet of Jesus, remember what they said? She took that ointment. It cost a lot of money. And she poured it out on his feet. And it was gone after that, right? You, you can't gather it back up out of the dust. It's spent. But it was spent on Jesus. And the disciples said, why, why, why this waste? We, we could have took that. We could have, we could have sold that and given, given it to the poor. Yeah, there was no waste. Jesus said, the thing that she's done, this, this is a memorial for her. He said, she hath wrought a good work on me. You see, she didn't give sparingly, did she? She sowed bountifully. And when she sowed bountifully, she didn't reap sparingly because the Lord Jesus, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman has done, I want that mentioned. I want that told. I want it declared. And it has been. And it serves as a lesson for us. If we want to do something lasting, we'll give ourselves lock, stock, and barrel to the Lord Jesus. And we can be confident that if we'll not be wearing well-doing in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. You know, there's coming a time of reward for our labor. It'll be a time of reward for some. It'll be a time of regret for others. The judgment seat of Christ. And Paul wrote of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. I remember when I was in the third grade, it was field day at uh, Green Hill Elementary School. And we signed up for different events. I wanted a ribbon. I wanted a ribbon. I got in a 50-yard dash. I didn't win. I finished second. But I got a ribbon. I got a prize. They called my name. I got my ribbon. You know, if we labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's coming a day of reward. We're getting something better than a ribbon. I cannot tell you where my ribbon is from third grade elementary school. I have no idea. I played on a football team one, one year that went undefeated and unscored on. Greatest team I was ever part of. Had a trophy. I don't know where that trophy is today. No idea. I did have a few academic achievements. I know it's hard to believe, but I did have a few. Certificates. I have no idea where they are. You see, the Bible says, labor not for the meat that perisheth. Paul said, they run to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible.
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. In other words, I'm not out here running around not knowing what's going to happen. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I run with purpose. Why? Because I am going to stand before the Lord, and if I'm faithful to him, I will receive my reward. The Bible says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures where moth and rust corrupts, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Every hour, every ounce of energy, every effort you make on behalf of the Lord is not in vain. Every dollar you invest in the work of God yields you eternal dividends and is used to bring souls to Christ. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.